This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia and welcome into this special episode of Half Measures Podcast. We are going back in time to watch something of a classic. It's an older movie, but it checks out. And joining me on this journey, as always, is my co-host, Dan Whiting-King. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Paul. Very excited to be here today talking about Return of the Jedi. It's a, it's a classic childhood movie for me. It really is. It's... We were, we were just saying off air, eh? it's the one we've probably both watched the most. Yeah, and and the fact that this was the, I'm pretty sure the first like I'm like it would have been the like I would have been four when this came yeah. out, um and I but I do have memories of seeing it in a theatre, so it might have even been like a re-release or something. Um, but it's definitely, I think the one I was thinking about for me that probably as a, a young Padawan resonated with me the most because it's got so many great. Uh, kind of like bright and colourful scenes yeah. and, you know, I, the, the fact that it just sort of moves um, from Tatooine to Endor and it's you know got so many like clutch moments with Luke and Vader. It's a, it's a special movie. It really is. I was maybe maybe a little older than you when I went to see it, but, you know, relatively the same. I consider it's the same age, essentially, Dan, sorry. And for me, I this movie, more than any other, defines my childhood, I would say. You know, the action figures that I had, mm. I just was obsessed with the Return of the Jedi action figures, some of which my now eight-year-old daughter still sort of kind of plays with now and then today. It's, um, there were, the action figures were something I discovered through this movie. I was obsessed with all the characters, especially those from Jabba's Palace or Endor, the, the Royal Guards, all mm. of the things. It was, just, it was just such a great time. I also remember having lots of uh, Return of the Jedi merch, like... I had uh, Return of the Jedi bed sheets. I definitely had a, a lunchbox and drink bottle. Had an Ewoks game. Um, I I remember the the figures myself. I remember having a, a Wicket figure, and you could take his little hood off, and he had his little spear, and just such a uh, just such fond memories. And I I feel like this is probably maybe outside of something like Batman, like one of the first sort of movies which sort of like crossed from movies to toys and kind of brought it all together for me and kind of started the lifelong obsession. Yeah. Oh, it, it truly is a lifelong obsession because obsession, here we are today, relatively speaking, still collecting. Um, still dabbling. Yeah. It's, um, so, yeah, so this this was three years after Empire Strikes Back, 1983. So 39 years ago, which is absolutely incredible. And, of course, this was, for many you know, we, we grew up through our teenage years thinking this this is it. You know, this is this is the end of Star Wars. This you know, for, it was sixteen years until Phantom Menace was announced. So for for years, this this was the original trilogy. This was the final part. This was how it all ended. But little did we know. I think, and there's something to be said for that. A eh? like, and and rewatching Return of the Jedi, and again, like having watched this movie hundreds and hundreds of times. Like the context has really changed for me with this movie because there is just so much more content now, and you're it's very hard to watch it now without kind of piecing together the wider universe. I mean, even sort of going into the the books and just sort of thinking about some of the the things that would be happening around this point in the timeline, and 
you know, it was a simpler time when we just had three movies. And it was kind of, like, there was something. That, and I can kind of appreciate the fans who are like, look, I'm just about the core. Because I think it, it was almost more special when it was like that. It was almost. It was. And it it was so um it was so encapsulated it was so at that point perfectly ended you know everyone went home happy and we'll we'll talk about the ending of this movie when we get there but uh it just felt i had the 1983 picture the 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 storybook and i still have it it's sitting on my shelf and when i flick through the pages of that book every image is just ingrained into my because i would have just stared because of course in the 80s there was nothing else there was no internet whatever so this this was the material this was the only other way i could view return of the jedi and i'm just obsessed with it. it 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 was one of the i don't know about you dan but this is this was one of the movies that made one of our very early podcasts when we did 10 movies to get to know me and this was this was in my list mm. oh no definitely and i just it, it does bring about just such wonderful memories isn't it like i remember a friend of mine um his name was kim he had uh one of the speeder bikes as a toy with a scout trooper and it had like a button on it that you could push and the speeder bike would kind of break apart into pieces and it was just so much fun like kind of like zooming that speeder bike around and just like having that like explode into the couch or something just like it would in Return of the Jedi and in my mind that toy was really epic I imagine if I did a light google search it probably looks terrible in, in today's terms but again just Great memories. Just off topic, only because you mentioned it. I remember when Battlefront, the first game, came out on what was then the PS4. You and I both had that game, and we would try and outdo each other's timings on the the speeder bike chase. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there for hours and hours determined to break the time. And then my son came along and just wasted me with his time. Your son, Paul, the chosen one. (laughs) I remember coming to your house and him absolutely schooling me yep. on Battlefield. Yep. Battle, Battlefront, yep. sorry. Um, and I had sort of made the trend. I'm like, I need to justify myself. Like, I'd sort of made the transition to the PC. And so I was sort of used to the mouse and keyboard and going back to controller. He was just, he wrecked me and he was laughing at me. Yep. You know, I, I, I had to leave crying. It was, it was a terrible time. Welcome for me. to my life, Dan. Welcome to my life. Should we, <laughs> should we dive into this movie? Let's um, do it. So we're away with the opening credits. And the first thing that strikes me as it starts is how many similarities there are to A New Hope? Because I think I kind of almost forgotten, or maybe I was just paying more attention this time, I don't know, but how that Star Destroyer comes in at almost the identical angle to to A New Hope. And then, of course, it breaks away. But, you know, and then within a minute of that, we're back on Tatooine and R2 and 3PO are walking along Tatooine. It's kind of... um, it's incredible how many similarities there are when you when you think about it in a trilogy. And it, well, I think that's something that Star Wars has almost become a little bit famous for, right? Like really kind of peering off, you know, whether it's scenes or colours or tones. And, you know, Obi-Wan, the, the TV show, did a lot of that sort of to the original trilogy, yeah, true. kind of like um, painting it like that. I'll tell you the one thing at the very start, and, you know, 2022 has been the year for me of getting into Star Wars books, the bit that really got me thinking is in those opening scenes where uh, Palpatine and, and Vader are kind of you know walking along the ship and there's all the, the stormtroopers and the sort of everyone's there. It really got me thinking about the Lost Stars book. Yeah. And just thinking about the, you know, the, some of those characters there seeing Palpatine um, kind of, or the Emperor very kind of like disheveled and, and not the 
not the emperor that they've kind of seen on all the the hollows and um it, it's a very different real life picture. it really is you sort of you, you can imagine those characters are in amongst that crowd on looking and have got like oh wow this is the emperor i thought he looked different to this you yeah. know it's great yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's a, it's a real catfish situation. Vader's arrival, of course, is the first arrival, and um, it's uh, it's interesting because, and we'll talk about the Emperor's arrival shortly. But it's actually it's pretty low key. Like he turns up, and there's like there's two or three people waiting to greet him. They've got a few people out. It's kind of like, you know, depending on who you're presenting to in a project team at work. If you're presenting to the the the, the leadership team, you might have everyone there. But the, Vader's He's he's not the leader. He's he's the next one then. So they've only got a few people come out to to, to greet him, um, and then he actually downplays himself, doesn't he, by saying, "Oh, you know, the emperor's uh, not as forgiving as I." Well, I think this is one of those things that um, again, kind of, I think comes out in the boxes. And I I never really thought about this or considered it in the original movies. But like, Beta doesn't really hold a military rank. Like he's he's a Sith Lord. Yeah. So. Um, to a lot of people on that ship, he's kind of a um, like he he holds power and he holds influence and he's the the emperor's right hand guy. But he's he's no he's no longer uh, General Anakin Skywalker. Not, not at all. Yeah. And so from the Different from times. the imperial officer's point of view, they're like, oh, who is this guy? Why why do we need to deal with this guy? He doesn't. He's not even part of the team. He's just an, he's an angry stakeholder, Paul, and we all know those angry stakeholders and just take a wide berth. He's not on the steering committee. And and I love the yeah. line, oh, you know, I, I hope so, the Emperor's not as forgiving as I, because it's kind of funny because uh, on the back of Empire Strikes Back and the number of people that he was force choking back then, if that's forgiving and Vader's reputation precedes him, um, these Imperial Guards must be absolutely terrified about Palpatine. Well, I, I almost find Vader in, you know, this is sort of going a bit lifting up again, a little bit more personable in Return of the Jedi compared to the other movies. Like he's quite sort of he's quite chatty. He's a little bit more down to earth. Like he's kind of chilled out just a little bit. Um, and it's you kind of see more of his personality kind of emerge than than we have previously. <laughs> the way you describe that, then I've just kind of got a vision of him leaning up against the sideboard, you know, with his legs crossed, smoking a cigarette, going, "Yeah, yeah, no, the, you're doing really well with the Death Star. It's coming along nice." He's got his coffee cup. He's like, "I'm going to need those TPS reports by Monday." So. Uh, <laughs> You sorted out the uh, the exhaust port though from the last one, yeah. Okay, good. Um, now we know that it does unfinished, but there's no kind of like way that people could kind of get in. No, no, like no, 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 no. They got a shield this time. They'll be fine. Um, the, we cut down to Tatooine, and that brings back all of the wonderful memories of A New Hope and and three PO and R two just going along to Jabba's palace um, is a great landscape scene it looks it's still you know all these years later still looks legit it just looks like there really is a palace there and then when they get to the door i've i've never thought about it but i really want one of those door cameras that jabba has for my house you know it comes out of the the front door i can see you you can't see me my voice is disguised so you don't know who it is who's home you're not coming in unless you I love the idea of these door cameras that just basically come out of the door and actually stare at the people with a with a like a physical eye. It's great. Well, you know, in a modern world, you could just get a ring doorbell and that that has the camera and you can answer it from your phone from anywhere in the world, but it doesn't come out on a stick. But I guess with some uh, some home 
crafts. You could probably have it attached yep. to like a broomstick that kind of like flips out and kind of terrifies someone. And... I think it's the stick factor that really is the it's the intimidation. Okay. You know, C3PO's reactions are happening. He's kind of he's caught off guard. Um, uh, if I told you half the things I've heard about this Jabba the Hut, you'd probably short circuit. Is what three PO says to R two, and it made me think that you know all these years later, and all of the various books and things and TV series that have come out, we have learnt little things about Jabber along the way, but I've never, and correct me if I'm wrong, I've never really encountered a storyline or a major storyline where we've really got to see Jabber doing his his dirty work and at his worst and all of the things that he's famed for. No, I don't think we have. I think we've that. It kind of more plays out in the wider kind of hut cartel, doesn't it? Like with some of the other members of the of the hut family, you, we don't we don't see a lot of that from Jabba himself. Yeah, no, exactly. I am um, uh, one of the first characters we encounter when we go inside the palace. Is again going back to action figures. One of my absolute favourite, Bib Fortuna, who of course we celebrated his return briefly in the book of Boba Fett, um, but. I just I love his voice, I love his look. And then we come into the main you know, we meet Jabba and that Jabba voice and laugh, it's absolutely iconic. There's another favourite character of mine in this sort of early scenes is the Gamorrean guards. Oh like, yeah. I just I've always just sort of loved those guys. And it's it's kind of interesting as well, and it's kinda of hard not to make these comparisons, but because we we really got a an updated, highly modernized version of the Gamorrean guards. Uh, during the book of Boba Fett, and it's kind of like you you can tell time's moved on, so you've got to really kind of yep. put put that past. But they're, they're such great characters as well, and just sort of the idea of these green pig men um, who are kind of wearing these like Roman gladiator type uniforms and big axes, and it's it, it's just such a. I think Jabba's Palace is just such a, a wonderful space. It really like captures the imagination, and it's just like anything goes in that place. Oh yeah, there's so many weird and wonderful creatures. You know, you go there for a party, you sleep in the lounge, <laughs> you you know, you wake up and you do it all over again. Yeah, just if you wake up in the night to use the the bathroom, please don't bang your heads on the on the you know on the on the bell. Yeah, the wind chimes. I mean, you know, um, and I really love the way um, when three PO is talking about Han Solo. I love the surprise. It still somehow surprises me that 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 Jabba would have not, never defrosted Han. He's like, oh, I like Captain Solo where he is. I love the fact that he's like, Do you know what? That's perfect. Let's just put him put him on the wall. It's kind of the it's the perfect situation, isn't it? Like like what are you gonna do with them? Like are you gonna defrost them and you're gonna take him out to the Silic pit straight away? Are you gonna keep him as a prize? Like I feel like a prize is a is a far better. Option. It really is. There's no one wants of all the people to sort of be able to put on mute, other than maybe three PO. Han Solo would be right up there because that guy can talk. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's kind of I feel like again, like we know so much more about people being frozen in carbonite, and it's kind of it seems a a little more of an easier process than maybe the one that. Uh, solo went through but it's you know it's a it's a good price to have i love this movie but i'm going to pick some holes but i'm only doing it for the point of view of conversation they decide oh let's put r2d2 on the on the sale badge you know I, I have need for you there and i think you'll fit in quite nicely and i've never thought about that much before but but luke's whole plan to rescue han even if even if he had sort of foreseen the future and thought oh we're gonna we're gonna wind up at the sarlacc pit 
which I doubt he could, but even if he did, how would he have known that R2-D2 would have been on the sail badge? Because that's kind of crucial because, of course, he's got Luke's lightsaber. There's a lot of there's a lot of very um, things have to come together in the perfect order. I think um, I think for Luke, it wasn't critical to have the lightsaber, though it was useful to have the lightsaber. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like I, like, I think Luke is familiar enough with... Uh, blasters and, and other weaponry that it, like i think he could he could have made it work either way it was just kind of advantageous that it all kind of came together yep. now you and i would have been watching the disney plus version of this movie of course and the the latest version and so we both would have had what i still call the new song at jabba's palace and i'm not sure how i feel about it because the song itself actually i don't mind listening to i think it's quite funny and entertaining it's it, it no longer surprises me when i see it on the screen but it's still, it, that's one scene, and there's a few that don't, but this is one scene that still reminds me, oh, this is new, and it doesn't quite feel classic to me. I think this is my, this is kind of getting into my biggest complaint overall of The Return of the Jedi, is that it's too, it's so jarring, the mix between the new and the old mm. scenes, and I think because the, like it feels so it feels so modern some of these cgi scenes and you know then on on the flip side then like the camera pans back and it's like you know a a broom head with some googly eyes stuck on it like there's it's such a mixture of kind of effects particularly in in jabba's palace that it, it kind of takes you out of the moment and reminds you that this has kind of been um messed with a little bit and there's some scenes that we'll we'll get to a little bit later in this which i think are even more I think controversial for me, but you're right. It does. It is jarring. Yeah. Uh, next, we've got the bounty hunter Bush turning up with the the prize of Chewbacca for for Jabba, and we all know it's Leia. And it's a wonderful moment when the helmet comes off and she reveals who she. But wouldn't it also be great to somehow have a scene where she's prepping for this and she's you know, she's putting the gear on because that whole scene with with Bush and the threatening with the thermal detonator and really holding their own with Jabba I really think that's one of it's actually one of Leia's strongest scenes and we never get to see her face in that yeah there's definitely I, I'm with you like I I've always been kind of fascinated in the in the Bush character and I think the you know even just a little bit of like I think like almost kind of a bit of a, like a a heist movie right like they're getting the yeah. gear they're kind of this they're, they're putting it all on there's all these like quick cuts of them kind of like suiting up and getting ready and because it, it does feel like i guess going back to your point around um r2 and the lightsaber it's kind of just a series of events that just happen to kind of play out that they all kind of get themselves into the right place like even um lando in his role yeah um is as as one of the skiff guards like he just kind of makes himself indispensable so quickly no questions asked like i feel like he probably had to do an 18 months of comment in java's palace to even get to where he got to <laughs> that's that no that is a novel that is a comic that is a that is something that would be worth watching is how lando integrated himself into Jabba's network to become so indispensable that's a great idea Indeed. it's so good um something about chewy when he stood there with with bush something about his hair in Return of the Jedi has always bothered me. There's a real buff, and I know it's the 80s, but there's a real buff look going on here. I'm glad you brought this up, Paul, because I was thinking about this last night, but I'm actually in the other camp that I feel like I love Chewie's kind of like windswept hair in Return of the Jedi. Like, <laughs> there's something just a little bit more like, 
there's a bit of lift, there's a bit of buoyancy in that here. And I kind of appreciate that he looks a little bit, like, he's a little bit stressed, he's a little bit, like, uncomfortable with what's going on, and it kind of works for me. Like, I kind of feel like it's cool guy here. This, this is kind of, he's kind of like the, the Captain Pike for Strange New Worlds. Look, this is my big hair moment, and the rest of, the, the rest yeah, of my stuff, <laughs> the rest of my stuff, it's all just, it's all flat back. Um, uh, where are we going here? So, Leia has, you know, released hand from the cabinite and you know there's this wonderful line from me luke's a jedi you know i'm out of it for a minute and everyone gets delusions of grandeur i think that's such a great line uh, that that line in itself has so much unpacking because and sort of jumping forward um like because then there's the moment later on when luke's talking to yoda and it's like you're not a jedi yet, that's but right like just calm, calm, just calm down and i think it's kind of like in the sense of, I guess, there's no other Jedi's at this time in the in the in the movie universe that we know about, kind of floating around. You are probably you get in a quick promotion. You can probably call yourself whatever you like. Um, but I think the other thing that's kind of just interesting about that whole scene is, I feel like breaking Han out of the carbonite. I've always just felt was so risky because everyone's just sleeping all around you, and it's like no wonder you get caught. Yeah. Like, I feel like this was a real loose part of the plan. Like. It might have even been better to try and move him in the carbonite than to have someone defrost yeah. and just kind of blurt out all their emotions. Even when she releases it from the wall and it hits the ground. I mean, that noise in itself, that's waking up the whole house. I don't care how big the party was last night. Everyone's awake now. I was also upset about like not even an attempt to catch to like to catch him. Hits the floor. <laughs> She's just like defrost, boom, hits the floor. <laughs> just let him fall where he is. I um, What's your theory on... because? Of course, you know, Leia's talking to her and, and within 30 seconds, the laugh, we're hearing the laugh and then he's rolling forward and the lights are on. Did he always know who Bush was or did the noise wake him up and now he's coming? Like, Because he seems pretty ready for this moment. I think he knows. Like, I think he's kind of aware that something's going on. Um, and I think this is kind of the, the inner workings of Jabba's Palace that we don't kind of know enough about. But I think the... You know, even Boba Fett could could have kind of been like, "Look, this feels fishy. Like, you know, we should be prepared. Like, it's you know, who knows? The original Bush, uh, who was a, a bounty hunter, might have got word to Jabba that his his armor's been stolen. We don't, we don't yeah, know. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, and again, there there could be a comic book or something there just to tie that off because that's interesting. Now Luke's arriving, and again, one of the things that I never really took note of, but did this time is. He's through the door, and within thirty seconds, he's he's double force choking these Gamma and guards. That's not the Jedi way. When when do we? You know, I know Anakin crossed that line occasionally, but force choking—that's not really a Jedi thing, is it? You're on this council board. We do not grant you the rank of <laughs> okay. master. And I think you know, Luke doesn't have a Mace Windu kind of, or a, you know, even like an old school Obi Wan kind of like giving him that constant guidance. And I think you know, and a in a Jedi sense, I guess Luke's kind of the solo. I'm, I'm the last Jedi. I'm um, kind of got these powers. Like the line between probably like good and evil, and what you can and can't do is probably a little bit more grey. But you're right. Like this isn't the the behaviour that we would typically expect of a of a Jedi. I feel like he's still quite young. You know, he's he's a kid and he's got all the Jedi powers, and he would be just like a teenage kid would be at that point. Like you know, he's he's force shaking people, and then he's walking in. It's your choice, but I warn you not to underestimate my powers. You know, it's a real. He's really flexing at this point. 
Well, this is this is such a great. I think this is such a clutch Luke moment, and I, I I might have talked about this on the pod before, and I might I've probably talked to you about it before, but I like this version of Luke Skywalker in his full black attire was my like. I, I remember lying to me thinking, when I'm an adult, this is how I'm dressing. I'm dressing in like the the black like riding boots, the full black attire. Like um, I'm just going to dress like Luke Skywalker. For those of you not watching the video I, version, it, Dan is currently wearing a black t-shirt as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I just, I always just thought it was it was so cool, and just his confidence to walk into that palace, especially when you think about, um, you know, and he Luke mentions this a little bit later on, but like he he grew up on Tatooine. He knows who the huts are. He knows yeah. how kind of terrifying that whole space might be and you would really have to back yourself particularly as you say like he there's no guarantee he's getting that lightsaber from r2 so you'd really have to be like look i can go into this palace i can hold my own i can survive i can get my friends out like you you've got to have some level 10 confidence correct you really do uh i, I find this whole rewatch so much more enjoyable than some more recent rewatches in the last few years because of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series because of the Book of Boba Fett series. And another scene where that resonated for me was when we go, you know, Luke's now been tricked with the old trapdoor button. Didn't see that coming, did you? Um, down into the Rancor pit. And that always makes me think of of, of Boba Fett riding the, the Rancor in his, his TV series. And, and knowing now that it's actually, you know, a gentle beast that doesn't actually look for harm, but is actually, you know, quite friendly. But you know, maybe don't lock it in the basement. Yeah, well, I guess that's that's the thing, isn't it? Like, Jabba's got this rancor that's, uh, you know, he's, he's clearly probably, like, underfeeding it. It's there for kind of, like, entertainment. It's, um, this is a, a mistreated animal. Yeah, and you don't turn up, double force choke the guard, start flexing, and then kill the owner's pet without consequence. Mm. Mm. I always enjoy that, like, in the when the, the, the drop down to the Sarlacc happens, that Gamorrean guard also kind of just yep. gets lost in the in the commotion as well. And I always remember sort of really feeling a bit sad for the, the Rancor handler when the, the Rancor does meet its demise. Like, he's just so devastated. Yeah. And I think I read somewhere once that the the actor that played that role, like, it wasn't even a paid role. It was just kind of a an extra. But he's still such a memorable character for me because he was kind of like he's a big unit and he's kind of got like a – T-shirt on his <laughs> head. Right. Kind of, you know. What is up with that T-shirt on head? No, it is. It, it is yeah. a great moment. It's a real. It was one of those scenes that you know only took twenty seconds, but it, it's become so memorable. And and like the Salak, you know, go, again going back to special editions, um, this I find less triggering. The changes they've made, I find I've become quite used to the idea of, of the Salak with the with the new effects going on. But again, the Salak scene. Has has so much more meaning now when you see Boba Fett fall in. You know, you, oh well, that's the end of Boba Fett. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I think I guess getting into the into the scene where they they finally take the the skiffs out and they're they're falling in. I always I never liked how easily Boba Fett was defeated. Mm. I feel like he needed more of a like it, it was it was so clumsy <clears throat> that his jetpack just kind of like misfired and then he kind of fought like. I feel like Boba Fett was such a, a mysterious and feared villain, and uh, it would have been great for a bit more of a, a tussle. I think between um, even Lando and Han and Chewie to sort of bring that. To it mind. was Han that hit it, wasn't it? With his sort of yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a little too easy, wasn't it? Um, but uh, but yeah, um, everything turns out well. 
Lando's driving. Don't forget the droids. We're on our way. And now we go back to the Death Star. And if we thought that, you know, we've, we've always thought Vader gets a big welcome, as well as saying before. Now the Emperor's arriving. The music, have you ever noticed, the, is even more pronounced. It's even more more yes. royal. They've got all the best China out, and they've got everyone, no matter, even if you're like a data analyst, and the, you know, everyone's out. Come on, everyone at the front to meet the Emperor when he comes. Well, and there was something in the Lost Stars book, right, where, you know, when someone like the Emperor arrives, it's, it's all everyone yeah. on deck. Like there was almost like no excuse not to be yeah. on deck. This is an all-hands meeting. Yeah. There's no there's no excuses. Annual leave, cancelled. If you're sick, you're still coming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, again, dipping back into royal guard love, the the action figures, they are exquisite. When they come out of the, the shuttle, because, of course, this is the, the first time we've seen them in release order i've just always thought that they've just they just look so good they've aged they're timeless the, the royal guard is just exceptional i totally agree always thought the the royal guards again i love a good sort of mysterious character and just kind of the fact that these are the, the best of the best and these are the characters that, that protect the emperor and again it's kind of shrouded in mystery which has kind of been like we've kind of learned a little bit more about them over the years but Great costumes, great yeah. characters, and then of course the emperor. He's you know coming down the down the ramp. You know he's old, he's helpless, but he's he's terrifying. This is the emperor that I always think of. You know we've seen him so much, even recently in the Obi Wan series earlier this year. We've seen, you know, and it's always Ian McDermott. We've seen him so many times now, but this is still the one that I think of in my mind as the the quintessential never will be beaten version. Yeah, and I think, you know, Ian McDermott, it's, it's so awesome, isn't it, that he got to sort of go on and play um, play the you know, Chancellor Palpatine. And I think he's actually a character I would I would love a, a Disney Plus TV series about. Like, it, I just think he's such a, a fascinating character that's been on such a journey. And he's, he's the things that he's done are so critical to the Star Wars storyline, but they're, they're only ever kind of talked about in passing then it's never really been too deeply kind of delved into unless it happens in a, a book or a Yeah, book. and there was a book about what you just described and I uh, I think it was the Darth Plagueis book, but it's no longer, it's not canon. It was before the Disney acquisition, so that's been written off. But something like that, something yeah, legend, something yeah. like that would be great. I was just looking, Ian McDermott, he was in his 30s at this point when he played. And, and I guess that's why he's been able to, you know, 39 years later, still be turning up this, you know, so easily. It's um, it's incredible. And that's amazing, right? Because I think if, if Return of the Jedi was being made today and they were kind of casting someone for yeah. the Emperor, they probably instantly would have gone with a, you know, a 70 or 80 year old kind of classic act. And it's, it's almost like there's some amazing kind of like foresight or accidental um, decisions that were made that have just kind of led to some some great outcomes for the wider Star Wars universe and, and these actors. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're cutting about quite a bit in the movie at this point. Of course, the gang that have left Tatooine, um, Luke went his own way to Dagobah. And if this is our final, our final, we think, ever seen with Yoda, or at least Yoda in the living flesh. Mm-hmm. I... I was always kind of like the. I remember sort of thinking in my younger days, why are we splitting the party again? Like it was kind of like we've just got everyone yeah. back together, and Luke's like, "Oh, I got some other stuff I got to do. Like, oh, I'll meet you guys later." But and and for some reason, I always thought that his time on um, Dagobah was longer, but it's actually quite a, a short amount yeah. of time um, in Return of the Jedi. 
And I actually understand that one of the reasons, like, it wasn't originally going to happen in Return of the Jedi, but one of the reasons that Luke goes back and talks to Yoda is, one, it kind of rounds out that story, but two, there needed to be another credible source to verify that Vader was Luke's yeah. father. And and Yoda provides that. Um, and it's it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting scene, isn't it? Because I think... You know, Yoda kind of has kind of like the long death on the scene. Like he's kind of like he's. Like, I just want to go to sleep. I'm I'm kind of done. And then like Luke asks an annoying question. He's like, Oh God, let me just kind of like summon a bit more strength to to talk through the situation. Yeah, it's he's really like, can you can you just leave me alone? Um, but he's also real. Like you know, you talk about how Anakin gets treated badly. He's also like quite harsh on luke as well you know luke is like oh then i am a jedi and he's like he's laughs in his face he's oh yeah no no one thing remains you must face vader and luke's like hang on didn't i just do that in empire you know and it didn't pan out that well thanks to um do i have to do that but no that's 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 necessary especially too like when you think about the kind of the context of the star wars universe so vader really like one of the greatest jedi slash sith to ever exist And you've been giving this kid some on-the-job training for, you know, probably a couple of months. And now you're like, can you go defeat the biggest, like, threat to the galaxy scene? And then you'll pass the trials. And you're our only hope. So get on it, son. It's it's, it's kind of like if Luke hadn't annoyed him so much and was asking so many questions. And if if he'd hung on a little longer, I wonder what else he might have told him. Because he's really spinning the beans at this point. Yeah, yeah, he's your father. Oh, yeah, there's another Skywalker. Yeah, I wonder what else we might have that but um there is some wonderful music that accompanies this of course same from empire you know that yoda theme it is so good and you and i often talk offline about john williams scores and the yoda Mm. theme is is right up with the best of the best it really is the other thing that's funny on that uh, dagobah scene is when luke leaves leaves the the hut and like R2 D2 is just like just doing some work on the on yeah. the X Wing. He's just like got a panel open. He's like zzz, yeah. zzz, just like doing some welding. Like it's like, and it's kind of funny because I've always thought uh, Yoda and R2 have always had kind of a great sort of like um, tense relationship. Um, and it's just sort of funny that he's just like, oh, look, I'll yeah, I'm not going. In it. I don't, I don't need to see him. I've got nothing. He's got nothing for yeah. me. I'm staying here. Always be working. Yeah. But we do get again Obi Wan. And again, not picking holds, but just struck me this time. Why, why do force ghosts walk? Why, why don't they float in? And then, why is he sitting down on a rock for a chat? I mean, if you're a force ghost and you're not really there, isn't that awkward to kind of be sitting on a rock? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, there's definitely some <laughs> questions there, isn't there, around how that whole that whole process works. And I want to talk about force ghosts, but I want to save my comments to the okay. Room. All right, but it is so good to get Alec Guinness in that one last time and of course the scene at the end as you mentioned as well I am um, I did appreciate because uh, we all know I think Alec Guinness wasn't overly impressed with the Star Wars script and he wasn't really into it but you know he he made the effort to come back for the two cameos in Empire and Return of the Jedi at least I feel like the only people that were actually into this film were George Lucas and yeah. Mark Hamill and everyone else was kind of like oh, yeah that's right yeah, Harrison Ford was not like really that into it. the scene. We're jumping ahead, but the scene where Harrison Ford has to sort of, sort of say, "Yeah, well done to the Ewok." I reckon that must have that would not have sat well with him at at yeah, all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Luke then does go back and meets up with the rest of the um, 
the Rebel Alliance near Sullust. And um, this is where we meet a couple of great characters, Mon Mothma and Admiral Akbar. And Mon Mothma is great. She has a really superb voice and the way she delivers her lines are so tense that she really, and most important of all, we have learned that the Emperor has made a critical, you know, she's, she really delivers those lines so well. I agree with you. She's always sort of stood out as a as a great kind of calm voice that just delivers the right amount of tone to inspire action. Yeah, that's good. Because we've always, well, I've at that point we've always thought the rebels are a bit of an unorganized gang. You know, they've they've got their base on what well, was on Yavin, and they're always fixing X wings and stuff. But you know, when you sort of see them in this whole arena, like, oh, actually they're quite organized. You know, and and Admiral Akbar comes out. You know, he's got this epic voice, and a, you know, like your Gamarin guard, another super really bold look for the time i think too though it's something and sorry to bang on about these books but it's just kind of it just makes me think about these things so like in again lost stars they talk about how in the mon calamari ships how they kind of they run them at a, at a higher yeah. temperature because the the Mon Calamari liked a sort of a, a humid kind of moist environment and I just imagine in the ship like there's like battle of the air conditioners where like you know Admiral Akbar's <laughs> always kind of turning it up like Mon Mothma's always turning it down and it's like we just can't get who's touching the air conditioner <laughs> that's a real Kirby enthusiasm scene I could see playing out there with um Admiral Akbar voiced by Larry David um the other guy General Nadine what is this guy has a fake beard. Why? Like, why? Why even bother? Cast someone with a beard. What's going on? I hate it. He he he's the most disturbing looking <laughs> character in the whole of the Star Wars universe. Like, I he's jarring. Like, he's more jarring than some of the special effects that get added. I think. Like, it's and maybe it was better back when we were watching on you know old school televisions, but on a you know. A, a flat screen LCD, like you know, got your true blacks, all the sort yeah. of colors coming out. Like it just, it's it's sketchy. Like, is that somebody's son? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> something had to happen to have that guy put in. It just, it's it's a bit mind boggling. Yeah, I am um, talking about the action figures again. He he is possibly in the best condition of all of the action figures some 39 years later. And I think that's because even as a kid, I knew and I just like got it and I just put it on the shelf and I was like, that's it. I've got you, but I don't ever need to touch you or look at you ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously they were trying to sort of like age the character a little bit and kind of, you know, you're a general. So, you, you know, you kind of need a bit of wear and tear, but yeah, I think they could have gone a different direction. Another character we haven't talked about but who i really enjoy in this movie is c-3po and what i find interesting is he never really annoys me in the original trilogy and he doesn't in the sequel trilogy either. i think it was the prequel trilogy that turned c-3po into a character that i just did not need on screen at all and i know you've said some things about 3po in the previous podcast we've done in the on the timeline rewatch of star wars but 3po in in jedi i quite enjoy him yeah, he's not too bad, is he? And I think you know he's he plays a pretty critical part, um, and particularly when we get down onto Endor. <clears throat> I think what's interesting about three PO is like being polished gold is the most like unstealthy, yeah. kind of obnoxious color that you could be on this type of mission. Like I just feel like you you probably shouldn't even oh, be down there. Like I have thoughts on that as well. And when we get to that scene, I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll bring up a couple of points I've got on that actually. But um, the 
the next scene again iconic gifs we always talk about the gifs that we use a lot one of the gifs i use a lot is lando saluting when the hand's leaving i think i use that more than most yeah he's he's really redeemed himself after best bin and stealing hands clothes he's really you know he's his 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 secondment at jabba's palace the whole uh, part he played there and now he's got you know coming back to the whole solo a star wars story movie now he's got the keys to the falcon once again and he's going to lead that ship into battle uh in space it's almost like they had a bit of a change of heart about the type of character that lando calrissian is because it's it's so tonally yep. different and it's i, I do appreciate it and i I also think it's a little bit funny just sort of the relationship that both Lando and Han have with the Millennium Falcon because it's kind of like, and what we like they both love the ship. Like I don't think it needs the like all that you look after yeah. it right. Like not a scratch. <laughs> like it's like okay. First of all, it's a bit of a it's a it's falling yeah. apart. Like it's 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 got many scratches. Um, it can be repaired. Like it'll be fine. Like I think we should be more worried about kind of. Don't yeah, die. I know it's a, it is a little bit overplayed, isn't it? Um, but uh, and also, um, Luke at the end of Empire Strikes Back, when he's on the Falcon, he he can feel Vader's presence, and Vader can sense him, and uh, and they're talking. He probably should have thought at that point before he decided to go on the Tie Fighter. Was it Tie? No, it was a shuttle, wasn't it? Um, uh, before he gets into the shuttle, he probably, I probably shouldn't come, guys, because I'm pretty sure Vader actually has an ability to sense me. But no, nah, he's coming, and, and true enough, Vader. Well, forgotten yeah. about it, Paul. Just, just yeah, don't worry just about it. it. Don't worry about it's it. It's fine. It's yeah, an older code, it. but it checks yeah. out. And now we're down on Andor. Did you spot Captain Rex? Oh, every, every time, time. now. It's it's my it's my favorite piece of like you know those um you know those memes where it's like you know like what like leonardo yeah. on the couch and it's like and it's like you know pointing or it's the you know where you've always got to tell somebody about the one of the scenes in lord of the rings this is the this is the same thing for me it's absolutely brilliant it's one of those things that retro retrospectively works so well um the speed of ice chase you know we talked about before but i just they got it so right in 1983. I don't know how they got it so wrong in 2021's Book of Boba Fett with the with the speeder bikes, but they really got it right in this movie. Do you know some, something I was thinking about with the speeder bike chase is that, you know, I can understand, like, the speeder bikes go so fast, and you kind of almost need, like, if you're going to ride a, like, I can understand riding a speeder bike through Tatooine, like, that's, that's fine. Riding a speeder bike through the forest moon of Endor almost requires Jedi-like reflexes. Yeah. And I'm surprised how well the Scout Troopers can actually ride those bikes. The Scout Troopers have shown themselves to be some of the best troopers that the Empire has ever had because their ability, as you say, to to, to navigate the forest was, was superb because, yeah, it's a tricky ride. But also, skipping ahead a little bit, it's the first time I can remember any trooper taking a shot and hitting their target when they knock out Artu when he's trying to unlock the bunker door as well. Yeah, these skate troopers are pretty onto it. It's because they've got those real like badass um, Ray Ban type That's sunglasses. It. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, one thing that annoys me about the scout trooper and is like most of the time they only ever kind of have that small holdout blaster. I feel like, and occasionally like in toy lines, we see them with more like sniper rifles and kind of like re recon type weapons. But it's annoying to me that like they're this kind of awesome stormtrooper, but it's just got this little small pistol on their end. Yeah, it's it's not enough, is it? It's kind of, yeah, it's a very, it is an interesting design. And I, I like how you've pointed out the sunglasses as part of that. Um, 
there's a throwaway line that I always, I don't know why my brain goes to this, but I always hear it and I always have the same thought where Han says, we'll meet at the shield generator at 0300. And I still, to this, to all my memory, this is the only mention of a time, a time of day reference in a Star Wars movie that I can think of that is, you know, as we talk about, oh, we'll do a podcast at 7.30. It's, oh, we'll meet at the shield generator at 3 a.m. It's the only time I can think of a time being referenced. And I would imagine, like, just to really kind of, like, pick that apart, like, what is time for? Like, I would imagine there's so many time zones that are running across the planet. Like, are we all just, like, synced up with, like, like we're all just running on our GMT watches this this 0300, you know? Like, it's it would be a, a nightmare. Their Apple watches are all synced, so it's whatever that tells them. That's what it is. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, of course, so the, the speedy bike chase layer... You know, she's off her bike. She gets woken up by the wicket Ewok. And the thing that strikes me seeing this again is I just feel really glad that I, like you, watched Return of the Jedi as a kid. Because honestly, whilst this movie may not place as highly when I'm asked to rank it, which we'll do later, but the Ewoks still to this day, they don't bother me at all because I have such a great memory of, of them as a kid in the 80s. But I think for people that didn't, weren't a kid at the time it must have been quite triggering completely agree like i feel like because i grew up with the ewoks they've always had a special place and wicked in particular has always been such a you know a, a favorite ewok of of so many people the only thing that really bothers me about the ewoks and it's it's not even them as characters because i think it's kind of great is i hate the velocity of some of their weapons like when they're firing their bows or throwing sticks like it's too weak like it's almost like a toy like arrow that like floats through the air like i think it would have been great if they kind of made their their fighting scenes a little bit more like yes they can be these little little teddy bear type characters but make them a bit more vicious with their attacks like it just never made sense to me how they were kind of like you know you're bombarding a, a stormtrooper with kind of like pebbles or like some arrows it wouldn't even pierce that armor like when we when we know it kind of yeah. like can defend against um laser bolts and, and things like that it's it's the only thing that kind of frustrates me about it and i know that originally they were actually going to have um rather than ewoks it was actually going to be wookies that they were going to have um, oh, on wow. the planet and they they made the the change because chewbacca the, the way they sort of used chewbacca like chewbacca could fly a ship he could use any weapon like he could use technology and it felt too backwards to have a planet full of wookies who um were sort of when you've had, got Chewbacca on the other hand, who's on the other end of the kind of spectrum, so which is why they ended up going with Ewoks. So, yeah, interesting little bit of trivia. Fascinating. I I never knew that. One thing I did learn from trivia notes is, as we go back to the Death Star for a brief scene, uh, where Vader, you know, he sensed Luke, and now he's coming to tell the Emperor, hey, guess what? Um, the Emperor's chair was mechanized so that it could rotate when necessary but the mechanism never worked and so ian mcdermott had to make it move by shuffling his feet along the floor to make the chair turn around and a piece of tape on the floor told him where to stop so that it would be visible for the camera i lo I love that and i i don't want to go looking for him doing that with his feet because it will spoil the moment but the dialogue in that scene is also interesting because i spotted that vader darth vader says to the emperor my son is with them but it's anakin's son it's it's not Vader's son and he's already talked about how he's he, you know i i've killed anakin i am what remains um that name no longer has any means to me and it's interesting because in empire strikes back 
the, the, the emperor says to Vader, I have no doubt that this boy is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. That is very different to saying, I have no doubt he's your son. Yeah, and I think this is where, like I said before, it's almost like there's a there's a bit of a shift in tone and dialogue with Vader, isn't there? Where he almost becomes a little bit more humanized and he's he's already kind of slipping back into the, the Anakin kind of yep. mindset. And because I think the Vader that we know would never come out and say, that's my son. That's like, right. I, I think you're right. Like He would say it in a way that like Anakin Skywalker's son is still alive. Yeah. And like that, like, which would be a far more terrifying scene. And I, I think Vader is not as terrifying as he was in, in the first two movies. And I wonder if that was because they were kind of really at Return of the Jedi, like we've got to get this younger audience on board. We've got to keep the story really simple. We've got to like, you know, like, and like, they probably weren't going to realize that, you know, 39 years later, two nerds were going to be just like really kind of like getting caught up in the details of what was said between two different movies. Yep. So. I know who, who would have ever thought that it's um the, the one of the criticisms I have um, of this movie on reflection now is I think it's probably probably for like 15 minutes too long or so. I think just, just, a, just a tad too long. And I actually think it's at this point in the movie that we're up to that it's the, the Ewok capture of the rebels and the, the C-3PO God scene, you know, is possibly the one that could go. We don't, we don't really need it. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. Take, as you said earlier, what they were thinking, taking uh, a gold um, droid down to a planet where they were all camo and, and R2-D2. At this point, we don't know that he can fly. I mean, how he's navigating a rugged forest on wheels, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't even get to open the bunker door. What purpose is he serving down there? I don't know. But yeah, this is, that's the scene. I know it's quite funny and the, the capture of them, but I feel like it could probably go. I think um, it's interesting there because I think on one hand in this movie it kind of jumps around a little bit because like you kind of have to fill in the blanks and the blanks have been filled in over the years but I think you're right like I think when I hit play on a movie now I always sort of take note of the time and if it's over two hours you have to really earn my time and I, I think I think I'm with you like I think it I don't know if it needed to be two hours 16 I think it probably could have been could have been two. It would have been the sweet spot yeah, for it. I think so too. Um, before Luke goes off to go and see Dad, he he meets up with Leia, and you know he, he's he's telling her, you know, oh, Vader's my father, and he's saying, oh, guess what? <laughs> he's your dad too. So don't judge me. Um, that scene. There's a lot of information kind of passed at, at that point, and also again to pick up on the language, he says to Leia, I can turn him back to the good side. I think that is the last time we ever hear that language used because after that, it's always referred to the light side. Mm-hmm. Bit of a change too, isn't it? And I think, well, I think because there's a couple of things there too. I think Luke almost slowly and painfully tells Leia that she's his sister. Like it's almost like, come on, Luke, just just yeah. get it. And I, the way he does it's kind of cool because it's like, my father have it, I have it, my sister has it, and then kind of like cute, kind of goofy look. Um, <laughs> and it's. It's kind of like, like it, it, like it's a great sort of line of dialogue, but at the same time, it's kind of let's go. There, there's things to be done here. And just what I'm talking about, Leia, where is she getting all these outfits from, Paul? Like, is there a trunk that comes down, you know, wherever she goes, and she's just like, look, I've got outfits for every day, you know. Like everyone came down in camo, like, and you were all of a sudden like 
look I've had time to get my hair braided I'm like these are my my chill clothes <laughs> chill clothes who's carrying the trunk of clothes as well my money's on Rex yeah definitely yeah maybe that's what Arthur's doing he's he's towing the trunk he's just like so good there is um another in terms of production and direction and cinematography there is one scene that always stands out to me and it's a beautiful scene where we're looking up at the Death Star from the surface of Endor and we see the Death Star and the black of space and it pans down and as it pans down we join a shuttle that's landing and it lands right down on the planet um, and we're now at surface level and there's an AT-AT down below that that looks really small we know those things are huge and I just think it's one continuous shot and for 1983 I thought that was absolutely brilliant yeah that's always been incredible I always enjoyed Kind of the, the view of the Death Star and the view of the, the Lambda class yeah. shuttle. It's good. And um, yeah, the surrendering to, I love the way they sort of, we don't get to see how he surrenders himself or that he gets brought upstairs in the. Um... He's definitely choked some people before. Like I imagine he's probably like force choked out a dozen yeah. people before we get to <laughs> that point. And they're like, we better cut that. <laughs> the only thing, the only thing I would have liked to have seen, uh, because of course he arrives by the. The eighty-eighty. That's the eighty-eighty that comes to that thing to meet Vader's shadow. It would have been kind of cool, and maybe that's why we didn't get to see it because it would have been a lot of money to have seen him boarding the eighty-eighty and um, and and what it was like on the inside of that. But anyway, um, it's uh, it's interesting because that dialogue that they have, Vader and Luke, you know, when he 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 talks about his father, or oh, you were once Anakin Skywalker. Vader's real angry. He's like that name no longer has any meaning for me. So he's back to that version again. Do you know the other thing too is I think Vader actually talks quite a bit about you know this sort of stuff in front of stormtroopers. Like I imagine stormtrooper gossip must be you know real high because <laughs> a lot of the time this stuff's kind of just kept between himself and yeah. Palpatine. Like it's not it's not for general consumption and just to kind of like have someone refer to him as someone other than Vader or with other people around. They're getting forced. Yeah. They <laughs> Those get people aren't going back to the They're break not, room. To- yeah. End of watch yeah. for you guys. <laughs> so there's no way. Cut to the scene in the break room. You won't believe what I heard Vader say today. You know, we're not getting that that scene yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, again, the the geek in me loves it when Vader ignites the green saber of Luke. It's something very odd about seeing Vader holding a green saber. It's only for a split second, but it's it it always um it always hits me. And the other thing that hit home really hard because of the Obi Wan series is when. Luke says to him, "Then my father is truly dead." And of course, at this point, mm. we know that uh, that Vader has already heard Obi Wan say to him, "Then my friend is truly dead." And I just think when he, when it really hits home because he leans against the side rail to support himself as he contemplates the words, "The breathing is laboured," and the Obi Wan series has really made that scene even more poignant. I think that's my favourite thing in Star Wars when in the future movies they're able to subtly give weight to these these really gonna older scenes and make make it mean so much more. Yeah. I think too, the other thing that I enjoy about this sort of battle is a lot of the lightsaber duels to date have been fairly slow, but this is this is quite a uh, a lightsaber duel with a lot of anger and emotion compared to some of our, our earlier ones. Oh yeah. And I think Lucas is particularly good because he is he He's got. They've got him really riled up. I mean, he's already coming in with the alpha energy that he had at Jabba's palace, but now you know, um, coming into the throne room, 
it feels so sinister. I know it's a bit of a small scale compared to what they might do these days, but it still works somehow. It still really works for me. But, you know, Emperor is like, oh, perhaps you refer to the imminent attack. Oh, you know, it was me who let the rebels know. No, don't worry about your Bothans. It was all me. And, you know, now you can watch out the window. So they're getting him real rolled up so that when he does go for his lightsaber and we get that really um, visually stunning green-red battle for the first time it is it is really good you're right and the speed of it is a little more than what we got in both a new hope and empire it also really makes me think of the in the, the later movies that we'll, we'll get to eventually of the throne room uh scene yep. of snoke where the lights are big it's kind of turned around on the chair oh, that's that is a next level cinematography type scene and i can't wait to, to talk about that as well yeah yeah because it just kind of reminds me of that like and i know that 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 would have been not even on the horizon here but it's it's great one thing um i guess you know as this kind of duel plays out and there's various sort of dialogue i think this this whole collection of scenes is quite long as well and kind of one i'm probably maybe jumping a little bit too far ahead here but like one of the things that kind of makes me laugh is when um palpatine's going he's going full force lightning and he's like supercharging up (laughs) and even when vader's like holding them up in the air and he's like still like he can't turn the force lightning off he's just like (laughs) like he can't stop it once you start you can't stop it's um yeah yeah, that's that's the problem with force lightning you gotta yeah you gotta be real careful where you how you use it um where was i going i was gonna oh yeah i was gonna talk about how it's at this point that and i i think it's something they've done well with subsequent movies as well where we have sort of three concurrent scenes going on so we've got the endor battle on the ground we've got the battle in space you know, and going into the Death Star. And then, of course, we've got Luke versus Vader with the Emperor on the Death Star. Um, that's sort of, so this final third, the action's really cranking up. And I love the way we, I think I really like the way we cut from one to two to three to one to two to three all the time. Because as much as I love what we talked about, the Jabba Palace scene, there's no break from that. It's Jabba's Palace the whole way for a good 25 minutes. And this is good because we're jumping to three very, all of them, action-packed scenes. And I think what's great about it is, I guess, because our main characters are really only in two of the three scenes, right? Because we've got the Endor and, and the uh, Vader Palpatine fight. But the other, like, I guess Lando's kind of main, but like, it's, a, it's wedges there, of course. But like, the fact that that space scene can still kind of like hold its own yeah. is, is awesome without without our, with no Han Solo, no Luke Skywalker finding an X-Wing. It's, it's oh, really cool. I think... I, th- I think this this movie is, is perhaps criticised more than the other two of the original trilogy. But in terms of space battles, this this is number one. This there's just some scenes with the Falcon flying that uh, are not surpassed by, I would say, anything even in the prequel trilogy. I actually think that the 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 Endor battle, the battle above the the planet with the Death Star with the Star Destroyers. I think it it is really really top notch, and then of course when they do knock out the the shield generator, um, going into the Death Star, I've always found that I know the trench run is the iconic destruction of the Death Star, but the flying into the Death Star into the center of it, for some reason, I've always found that more engaging or compelling. Somehow, seems mm. more dangerous. Seems more no, dangerous. Not right. the surface. You're going into the belly of the beast. I think you're right. Like I think it's. And it kind of, I, I love how there's, there's always like TIE fighters on their tail and it's it's just such a a, a well done 
execution, obviously. And particularly when you think about this for, for 1983, or probably, you know, probably was worked on in 82 yeah. or whenever it was, but so if well done. If you're a TIE fighter pilot, what are the chances you're rostered on that day when, you know, normally you're rostered on, there's not much going on, you do a couple of patrols, but today it's your shift and it's like, can you fly into the superstructure and destroy these rebel ships? I mean, yeah. it's amazing. My favorite is, is actually like, well, not really favorite, but kind of like clunky kind of action is when all the Alliance kind of arrives and then like the shield shield generator's not down and they all kind of have to like do this like hard kind of like put the brakes on is that like turning their ships around yeah and... it's kind of um i mean it must be really depressing for the rebels you know we talked about the similarities to a new hope you know there's another death star you know we we blew one up uh, oh they've made another one but this time it's got a shield it's kind of like um it's like we did it once and that seemed unlikely surely we can't do it again it's also cool to see, I think, how many like great iconic ships that yeah. we have as well. Like, there's the A wings flying around. There's the B wing bomber. There's the Y wings. There's it's not just the X wings, but even just hearing like wedge the like X files, um, X wings and S four positions. Oh like, yeah, yeah, that's it's like a real like G up moment. Eh? It's like let's go, those, boys. Those are the great it. lines, and it's kind of I've forgotten how many um, colors there were. You know, in a New Hope, it's it's it's, it's red. Red squad and, and gold, but in this year, oh yeah, green squad, blue. There's so many different types of fighter, the B wings and all the rest of it. It's amazing. Mm, that's really good. Um, Palpatine, over and over, saying to Luke, "My young apprentice." He keeps going at him. He keeps going, "Oh, my young apprentice." He he is absolutely convinced. Just to focus on Palpatine, he is convinced that he's going to be able to get Luke, just just like he's got any of his previous apprentices. Um, but Luke, you know, he says, never, I will never turn. And it's so definitive. And I really love that because at no point was Anakin, uh, I'll, I'll never join you kind of guy. But Luke is, there's absolutely no turning this guy. He's, he is the very definition of good. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's his, I think one thing that kind of like annoys me with this is that I've always thought and I think this is kind of even shown out in Obi-Wan Kenobi series, that Palpatine and Vader actually have quite a special relationship. And, like, Vader was very much kind of obviously, like, groomed into that position. And it's always this kind of annoyed, like, over the over the years, not originally when I first saw it, but it's annoyed me how quickly Palpatine was like, you're out, Vader, Luke, you're in. And I, I, I kind of feel like, and I know the rule of two, but it's like I felt like, there should have. There's so much more to that relationship, and he, I feel like he cast Vader aside so yeah. quickly. And also, what's Vader? How, how what's Vader's position here? Is he loyal to Palpatine when Palpatine's saying, "Oh, to Luke, you know, strike him down, kill him, take his place," or is he loyal to his son? It's kind of like Vader's like, "What am I supposed to do here? Because you want me out, and it's great." And again, like this is where, like you know, when um, Vader sort of is at a bit of a loss in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, Palpatine's kind of referring to him as, you're my old friend, like, what's up? We can, you know, we'll get through this, blah, blah, blah. Whereas, like, you know, in, in Return of the Jedi, Palpatine's very much like, I told you not to come to yeah, the ship. Like, he's right. kind of, like, real, like, like moody and snippy with him. And it's like, come on, man. Come on. He's like a he's like a project manager at the Kanban. It's like, you're not supposed to be working on this. Yeah. Go back and do what you're doing. Um there is another line that I never thought about the meaning of it, but it's actually my, because I watched it with my 13-year-old son. He he actually said, um, Obi-Wan uh, yeah, has taught you well. 
Vader says that at the exact moment that Vader is looking up at Luke at the top of the stairs when Luke's got the high ground. And I just think that's a really good spot. Such let's a good go. spot. Let's go. Let's that's so funny. It's amazing. Oh, that's good. Everyone's yeah. taught you well. Yeah. And I love that whole scene when he's you know, searching in the dark. You know, you cannot hide forever, Luke. And then, you know, and then discovering he that Luke has a sister and that he has a daughter just by reading his thoughts. And again, that's what gets Luke so, so, so mad mm. when he comes out, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's so much in here to kind of unpack, isn't there? And so many kind of connections across the whole story and and even to say like you know obi-wan's trained you well like you literally spent you know a couple of days with yeah, that's right. you know and the rest of it's kind of been through like <laughs> you know to be honest like layers had more yeah. training from probably obi-wan than, than like, if obi-wan was billing anyway. for the training he barely he's barely got 40 hours in the in the tank yeah. um but again yeah. credit to james Earl jones because his lines are great you know obi-wan when he saw it now his failure is complete he he's just i think sometimes i almost forget how great vader's lines are in in this movie probably more than any other i think he's although i do not like the the additional no at the end when he's looking at palpatine you know and he's like no i i really hate those additional lines which are overdubbed Mm -hmm. i that for me doesn't feel right but hey that's the end of palpatine at least he's down the shaft we're not going to see that guy again i think too like so i guess the other interesting thing here is so luke's kind of carrying or half kind of helping vader to the to the shuttle to try and save him and then there's you know all of the Every other person in the Empire is kind of like looking at them and, they, and is like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to carry on running. We're, we're, we're done here, mate. And it's like, it just seems so out of character for so many of those, you know, of those officers. Because they're just so loyal to the Empire. There is a, and there's a really interesting point you bring up there because in the Aftermath trilogy, um, which is set directly after Return of the Jedi with the Battle of Jakku and everything, they talk about how the instant Palpatine was gone, the Imperial officers, there was a lack of focus. The, the, the Palpatine held a psychological, actual, physiological, I don't know what sort of, like, using the force, hold over all of his employees, as it were. And the minute he had gone down the shaft, they were sort of like, I don't need to work here anymore. I'm gone. See ya. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is interesting, the chaos that's going on, and there's Luke struggling to to take Vader uh, or take Anakin at this point um, away, but because his life support's been fried because Palpatine couldn't control that lightning, um, he's gone, and the the helmet comes off. And I am always fascinated by how 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 pale Anakin is. I mean, I know he's not seen any sun, but he's he's like an ad for laundry powder. Like he's whiter than white. I don't know how he's gone quite that white. Well, it's funny too because I think um, again, like Obi Wan Kenobi series, like the uh, Anakin face is so much more burned and scarred, yeah. isn't it? Um, and I guess you know this the is back probably to tank. like this is the back to tank working its wonders. But Samara actually, she was like, oh, he just he looks like Humpty Dumpty <laughs> when that mask comes off. Like <laughs> he looks like the egghead from the Batman series in the sixties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it, it was always so fascinating as a kid, eh? Just to kind of be like, oh wow, that's his face, and it was never quite as like never quite as terrifying as i as i wanted it yeah and i guess maybe that was part of the was it was never supposed to be terrible this 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 old sad man inside there and it's um i've seen a youtube deep fake video where they've 
they've made that face uh, have uh, Hayden Christensen's features, and it's mm. really interesting how that looks. Actually, it's um, it's great that we have Hayden Christensen at the end added to the force ghost. So I really do appreciate that. In some ways, I wish Qui Gon was there, but that probably doesn't make any sense. Uh, do you know one one thing I would love if if we would you know they're always tinkering with these movies. Do you know a tinker I would love yeah. to see here is um to retro do some lines where vader's like go and find a sokotano like that would just be like so clutch. that would be oh that is a great little line to check in there yeah a whole whole epic because that would have oh, yeah it just would have given him such a whole nother meaning and like and i know it, it probably doesn't make sense but i think in the sense of the new disney plus tv shows how epic would it be that that would be his clue like go and find go and find oh i love that i um because you know we're coming to the end now, I guess I, one of the things I always like to talk about is, like, what would you change? You you've just blown anything I might have right out of the world. That is absolutely superb. That would be such a good because it would really tie things together, and it would be so easily done. I think uh, I actually think you should submit that to Lucasfilm. I think that's got a real chance. I'll, I'll get it on the board. You know, there's a couple of just other quick things that I think. One, I find it, I found it annoying how long Leia hold that information from him yeah. about being like Luke being her brother. Like it was a bit of a jerk move. But my other thing that I'm kind of a little bit like unsure about just is the the final kind of Force Ghost scene where. So I I get that we have Alec Guinness as Obi Wan because I feel like the Force Ghost that manifests is probably the one that makes sense to the to the person to the person yeah. who's seeing it, and so checks out. But why do we have, like, I don't, I would rather we had the Anakin that we saw, you know, the original Anakin Force Ghost, because Hayden Christensen, yeah, who are you? Right. Like, you look nothing like the Humpty Dumpty under the helmet. <laughs> you look younger than me. What What are you? Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Who's your hairstylist? It's so much better In than fact, mine. if anything, he should be sort of like saying to everyone, Who's, is this your son or what? what's going on? Yeah, why am I as tall as you? Like, yeah, you're making yeah. a lot of sense here. It doesn't make any sense, but from the viewer perspective, I've I've I get a bit emotional seeing Hayden at the end there. It's because uh, it brings the full trilogy, uh, the full into the into the wider. Well, I was going to say six episodes, but of course it's nine because that's where we're going next. I do one last thing on the additional special editions, the celebrations, Naboo. Coruscant, Bespin, Tatooine. I actually love that edition, and I think that going around the galaxy and seeing the celebration of the Emperor's fall, and the and the, I think that brings a bit more majesty to that moment. I agree. It's it's something I've really come to appreciate now that we've got such an expanded Star Wars universe that this truly would have been a great moment for the galaxy. So. I'm I'm on board with it more now than I was probably in yep. the past. So my only sort of what would I change would be just cutting out that bit of uh, Endor that was just a bit over the top and maybe replacing it with a bit of back backstory to the Leia as Boosh moment and actually building up to that mm-hmm. scene. But um, that would be me. But I love your idea about Snips. That's great. Yeah, I, I think that that would be my number one just because I think it just has such a great connection and I think it would kind of give Luke like another... And I know that like, it couldn't have, like Ahsoka wasn't even created at this point yep. in time. So like there's, there's there's strong rationale for not doing it. But I think given all the um, the movie magic that we play with these days, why not? Dan, you're ranking to this point, just to refresh you on this. At this point, you had in reverse order, Attack of the Clones, The Phantom Menace, Solo, Revenge of the Sith, A New Hope, 
Rogue One, The Empire Strikes Back. Where's Jedi going in for you? Controversially, I'm going to put this in at number five. So, so for me, I think Revenge of the Sith is a little bit more kind of complete for me as a as a movie. I it feels wrong to have Return of the Jedi at number five because I think this is still such a fantastic, wonderful core movie. But if I'm having a real hard hard rating, number five. Okay. Yeah, well, it's interesting because. For me, it's going in at number five on my list as well. But of course, my order looks somewhat different. So my order is now Attack of the Clones, The Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, Return of the Jedi, Solo, Rogue One, and New Hope, Empire Strikes Back. I think, Paul, we we might have to have a... a, a, When we've finally done all nine movies, maybe we'll have a... Uh, just any anything you want to move around or change it around because it's so it is because there's always the recency to... effect as well when you've just watched that movie where mm. you place it so so yeah so i look forward to our next star wars special which of course will be uh the force awakens oh it's going to be great to get into some really modern star wars yeah, well, that probably brings us to the end of another one of our reviews. Indeed. Uh, if you've got some thoughts on Return of the Jedi, get in touch with us on our website or via our social media. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Trisha Brady, and Diana Kanawa. Until next time, everyone, adios. Adios.